right. Welcome back, everybody, to Clearwater Jazz Holidays Young Lions Jazz Master Sessions. We are here with our friend Jeff Rupert on his topic today, examining developing a pers- a, a personal and profound sound on your instrument. Jeff is no stranger to Clearwater Jazz Holiday and Clearwater Jazz Holiday education and outreach, not only as he performed at the festival, but he has also been a staunch participant in our Young Lions Jazz Master Sessions now for, I think, going back four years at our main event that we do in connection with our great partner over at Ruth Eckerd Hall. And Every time I call Jeff and ask him to be involved in something, he promptly responds, yes. He's got an enormous heart for education and the outreach that we are doing. We can't thank him enough for having such a wonderful educator and talent participating in this growing resource. We are recording these sessions as we do for the purposes of Clearwater Jazz Holiday Education and Outreach. And for those of you who might be new to the session or listening to this later, we have developed a really cool resource accessible from our education and outreach page called The Studio. So after today, this and many, many other sessions you'll find, and you can watch them later. That resource is presented by Blue Water Wealth Management at Steward Partners. And if you like to listen as opposed to watch, we have a podcast called the Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions Podcast. It's got the audio portion of all of these sessions and some other really cool initiatives that we wrap into that so that's accessible anywhere you stream your music and it or your podcast i should say and that's presented by our friends at marine max clearwater we give a big shout out to all our partners to make who make these sessions possible including the al downing tampa bay jazz association i'm going to turn it over to jeff in a second i'm just going to tell you a little bit about him um, in addition to being an, an advocate for all we do with our outreach, he is also a trustee chair, Pegasus professor, and director of jazz studies at the University of Central Florida. He's a saxophonist, composer, record producer, and recording artist. He's been featured a featured soloist on dozens of recordings with artists including Sam Rivers, Mel Torme, Diane Shore, Benny Carter, Maynard Ferguson, including Grammy award-winning albums. Jeff has several releases under his own name, including Let's Sail Away with Veronica Swift and Imagination and R&D with pianist Richard Drexler. He currently is the leader of the Jazz Professors, a sextet which had top Jazz Week charting hit albums 2012 to 2015 he joined sam rivers band in 1996 and appeared in four recordings with the group he has performed in hundreds of concerts with sam rivers including performances at lincoln center the vision festival in new york city columbia university the list goes on and on and on he's been a member of the jaguar international jazz series He's also played uh, jazz festivals all around the world with dates in Europe, Scandinavia, Japan, Taiwan, Israel, South America, Australia, and New Zealand. As a music educator, as I mentioned, he's got the biggest heart and passion for jazz education. He's a frequent clinician for festivals, college, high school, and middle school music performance assessments, music education clinics, um, events like the Florida Music Education Association in Tampa, and of course the Young Lions Jazz Master Sessions 
produced by the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation. I could go on and on and on. We are just so delighted to have Jeff Rupert with us as part of these sessions. Jeff, welcome to your first Young Lions virtual session. The stage is all yours, my friend. Thanks very much. And uh, Steve, you're a wonderful guy. And everybody at the Clearwater Jazz Holiday, you're doing so much for the youth of America. And thanks, thanks to all of you. And thanks to all of you for being here today. Um, as an educator and a player, a lot of times the things that we talk about involve, when it comes on the playing side of things, about improvisation, people talk about learning um, lines and ideas and studying solos and a lot of technical things. And what I wanted to concentrate on today was something that's really probably more central to anything I just mentioned in music, and that is having your own voice. If we're classical musicians, if I was a classical trumpet player, for example, I would point to the great trumpet playing of Adolf Herseth from the Chicago Symphony to get a great trumpet sound or maybe Vincent Chickowitz from the Chicago Symphony, or Maurice Andre or Phil Smith from the New York Phil. If I was a classical violinist, I'd be listening to Yasha Heifetz, Itzhak Perlman, David Oistrakh, and that's how the violin should sound. When you play jazz, you really need to listen to uh, the profound musicians that came before us but the unique thing about jazz, it's about developing your own voice. The uh, paradigm for jazz music is there's only one Billie Holiday. There's only one Art Blakey. There's only one Horace Silver. There's only one Louis Armstrong. And there's only one you. And that's what I'm here to talk about today because all the musicians that you, you hear people talking about in jazz history, the thing that separates them from anybody else right away is their sound. And gosh, we barely ever talk about sound. It's really central to everything we do. Think about it. Your sound combined with your rhythm is your style. Let me make an example. Let's say you have a relative that walks in the room. And they say they just they could just say one word to you, maybe like fine. Say hey, how you doing? There's a lot of ways you could say the word fine. I could say oh I'm fine. I could say fine, fine. Every single way I said that word meant a completely different thing, didn't it? And I'm sure if you guys think about people you know really well, they could say. Phrases like fine or yeah, I'm okay. And you know exactly what they mean. They might really not be okay. They might really not be fine. They might be being sarcastic. And how do you know it? It's in their delivery. It's in their tone. So even, even a well-known tone can be used in so many different ways. What's astounding to me really is that you can have so many different sounds on an instrument. If you're a trumpet player and you like jazz, listening to um, Clifford Brown is a completely different experience. Uh, sorry about 
my phone was ringing there. Let me shut this off. If you're listening to Clifford Brown, it's a completely different experience than, say, if you're listening to Miles Davis. Or if you're a saxophone player, if you're listening to John Coltrane compared to Lester Young. But even so, Coltrane would say, boy, if it wasn't for Lester Young, I wouldn't be here today. Unlike in classical music, where there is a codified or codified sound of how an instrument should sound, in jazz, it's a much wider palette, if you will. And we stand on the shoulders of greatness. So what's important is that we um, listen as much as we can. Really, even now I listen as much as I can. But when I was younger, I listened all day long. And I'm around kids a lot. My, even my own kids. I have a 14-year-old trumpet player, and he listens probably four or five hours a day just as much as he practices. But that listening to other people and their sound helps form what your sound is. And having that individual sound, as I said, is paramount. So I can even play something without playing any ideas. Just play a, a melody. <laughs> just the opening phrase to uh, George Gershwin's I Loves You, Porgy. I could play that a million different ways with a different sound. Can you guys, can you guys hear that okay? Is it too loud? We're all right? Good. Yeah, it sounds great, cool. Jeff. Cool. Well, I should play on Zoom more often then. <laughs> if you listen to Ella Fitzgerald sing it, she sings it like this. She comes out and really belts it out. Nina Simone, another singer, sings it like she sounds like she's about to cry. It's just like I said, fine, fine, right? Different ways, same notes. Different ways of playing with a different sound give us a completely different um, uh, persona. We're, persona. we're creating a completely different vibe. And this is so often overlooked. A lot of times everybody, if you're a young jazz player, it's, man, I want to play my Coltrane licks or my Hank Mobley licks or my uh, Woody Shaw licks or, man, did you check out what Joe Henderson played here? And we're kind of missing the boat. When you're um, sitting at the table with family, you might have someone who's a, a great-grandparent or grandparent at the table. You might have a five-year-old kid, but everybody can communicate at that table. And that's what we want to remember when we're playing jazz. Um, truly, it's about being yourself and showing your style. You're an individual within a group setting. No one would tell a five-year-old kid, listen, what you have to say doesn't matter. I'd say, oh, wow, that's a five-year-old perspective. Now, it doesn't mean a five-year-old doesn't have a lot to learn, but as 
those of us who are not five years old, in fact, I'm 55, I know I still have a ton to learn. And uh, so what I've learned really is that everybody's voice is unique and very important. I want to listen for a little bit. I want to show you something. This is kind of profound. Um, some of you probably heard of Horace Silver. He's a great jazz pianist. He actually started out as a tenor saxophone player. Did you know that? He's a tenor player in uh, Connecticut. And then he turned to piano, and his first boss was Stan Getz. And then Horace Silver went on to lead a band with uh, Art Blakey called the Jazz Messengers. And their message was they wanted to wipe away the dust of everyday life. They wanted people to hear their music and just feel like, man, I forgot I had a bad day. Or maybe I had a good day, and this is making it even better. I just want you to listen to about maybe a minute of Horace Silver. He's a piano player, as I said. Check him out. Let's listen to his piano. Just for a second. I want you to listen very carefully, okay? Check this out, everybody. This is Horace Silver playing Senior Blues. Listen to his piano playing. Listen to his voice. Listen how he speaks through the piano. soulful that's really soulful senior blues you know whoever he's talking about must have been a tough dude or a sad guy did you hear the way that piano started let me play just a couple of bars listen to him play the piano everybody hear that okay Okay, now let's check out another piano player. His name is McCoy Tyner. He's from Philadelphia. He recently passed away. But the thing that's pretty wild is I want to show you. Here's McCoy playing that same exact piano that Horace Silver was just playing. And in the same recording studio, same piano, same recording studio. How much different can a piano sound from one person to the next? Let's just listen to a minute of this.
you guys like that. Could you hear that okay uh, out there? Great. You know, McCoy, McCoy has a different touch than Horace Silver. I mean, granted, they were playing different tunes, right? But their sound is completely different. Horace is a very outgoing guy. He's very, very sweet, but still kind of like, he knows what he wants. McCoy is very much uh, a, a force of nature, but also very shy. I remember I sat in a, in a limo, I was in Tokyo, and we were playing at the uh, Tokyo Forum, and there was no room in the car I was supposed to go in. And my road manager said, jump in that limo, it's going to the Tokyo Forum too. And whose limo was it? It was McCoy Tyner's. And I went, oh, my gosh, I'm in a limousine with McCoy Tyner. This is John Coltrane's piano player. And McCoy sat there like this. And I said, Mr. Tyner, I love your album Inception you did back in the 60s. It's just great. And that's what I was just playing you, McCoy Tyner's album Inception. And McCoy all of a sudden got a big smile. He goes, oh, thanks. Man, I didn't want to do that record. John Coltrane made me do that record. He, he really encouraged me to do that. And I was so touched because McCoy actually was just the sweetest guy in the world. He's just very quiet, but yet very strong in his convictions. I hear that in his piano playing. I wonder if you guys could hear a difference in sound in the way they both play piano. What strikes me as amazing, that was Rudy Van Gelder's piano in his studio in Englewood Cliffs, New Jersey. You could put on records by Jackie Byard, by Horace Silver, uh, Whitney Kelly, Oscar Peterson. They'll be on that piano. Kenny Drew, uh, Coltrane's album, um, uh, Blue Train with Kenny Drew uh, Sr. was recorded there. Kenny sounds different than everybody else. On the piano, isn't that amazing that even on an instrument that doesn't have a mouthpiece, or a bow like a violin that you could sound that unique. Your voice is really important. How do they get a different sound? Well, this is where the pearls, uh, the pearls lie, is how do you get that sound? A lot of people say, man, if I had Clifford Brown's trumpet or the same trumpet Clifford Brown had or the same saxophone that your favorite saxophone player had. Maybe I could get that sound. I toured for years with Maynard Ferguson, and Maynard used to laugh. He'd love to tell this story about this trumpet player who found out what kind of trumpet Maynard had and came to the gig once and said, Maynard, I got your exact same trumpet, but I got it one step bigger than yours. It was really funny, you know, it was kind of, and Maynard loved to laugh about that because the size of the bore to Maynard, he just played what was comfortable to him. He didn't think about, well, what does Miles Davis play or what does Dizzy Gillespie play? He was comfortable to him. My saxophone, uh, I play a mouthpiece that is comfortable to me. I own other mouthpieces, but my point is this, to get your own sound, trying to just do so by having the same equipment that someone whose sound you really like isn't going to do it. That's, that's a step in the right direction, but it's really an extrinsic value. Why is it an extrinsic value? Because you're you, you're beautiful and you're you, and it has nothing to do with anybody else. I don't, I don't look like 
Stan Getz. I don't look like John Coltrane. I don't look like Hank Mobley. My oral cavity is different. Everything about me is a little unique. And um, so even though I love all those players I just mentioned, having their same gear is not going to make me sound like them. So this pursuit, the pearls, have nothing to do with the gear. I'll give you an example. This is my saxophone. This is um, a saxophone made for me by Yamaha. It's 24 karat gold plated and it plays great. I love the way this one sounds and it helps me get the sound that I hear in my ear. But I own three or four Selmers, old Selmers, that are the same horn. I have the same vintage that John Coltrane played. I have another horn that's the same vintage that Hank Mobley played. And I have another vintage horn that's the same vintage that Michael Brecker played. I don't sound like any of those guys when I play that those horns. I sound like me. I have mouthpieces. I have a mouthpiece right here I was going to show everybody. I think this is it. It's not a big deal. But no, not this one. Another one. This one. This one is a copy of the, the mouthpiece John Coltrane played. I don't sound at all like John Coltrane when I played it. <laughs> so if you're a young jazz player and you're, you're really interested in um, sounding like someone that you like, that's great. That's actually a great way to start off. Think about it. When you were a kid and you learned how to, how to talk, who did you sound like? Who did you emulate? The people in your house, right? The people close to your heart. So if you're a saxophone player and you're listening to Charlie Parker or Hank Crawford, that's great. That's how you're going to get a sound concept. We call this an oral, an oral, oral approach. In other words, you hear something orally and you recreate it orally. Think about it. When you talk, no one says, move your tongue here, move your throat like this. You hear it and you reproduce the sound, right? Same way when we play an instrument. Now, this doesn't mean you don't need a private teacher or someone to really sit down and work with you on fundamentals because there's some certain fundamentals of all instruments. Even the piano, you know, you think that the piano sounds the same. No, how your technique is, the way your fingers are curved, all that plays a big part into how the piano sounds. I know pianists sometimes talk about playing through the key, actually. So what I'm getting at is the keys to having an individual sound are beyond your the gear, you know. Um, I remember when Glenn Gould, the famous pianist who uh, was the greatest interpreter of Bach, perhaps in the 20th century, his Steinway fell off a truck. And he went to Steinway in New York to get another one. He tried like as many as they had. This is Steinway, not in Queens, but on 57th Street. I know it because there's a studio above it. Anyway, the guys love to tell the story. Uh, he um, tried all these Steinways and he goes, man, none of these are like my old one. It's just, it's not going to happen. And as he was walking out, they had this room full of used pianos. He sat down at this piano and he goes, this is it. Wow, this used piano. I love this piano. Well, it was a trade. Someone wanted a Steinway and they traded their nine-foot concert Yamaha for a brand new Steinway. Glenn took that Yamaha and played that Yamaha. That was his new piano. He didn't care that it said Yamaha. He didn't care if it said Steinway. He cared if it helped him create the sound that he heard in his ear. You know how, like, you know, even when, like, 
someone you know really well is sick just by the way they sound like they might be congested. That's how sensitive we are to sound. Let's listen a little bit more, okay? Let me pull something up here. Give me a second. Listen to this trumpet player. I'm just going to listen to a couple bars of this. I'm sure all of you know this trumpet player. He's from East St. Louis, Illinois. His name is Miles Dewey Davis. Listen, just listen to his trumpet sound. cool sound, right? Very hip, very clear. It's kind of like James Dean. Just cool. You know, doesn't have to say anything. He's just cool. It's all in his sound. There's no bells and whistles. He's not playing vibrato. He's not putting any ornamentation. We would call that in Baroque music, we talk about ornamentation. Um, you might go, an ornament would be like this. That's broken ornamentation. Smooth jazz artists love that. There's a lot of that kind of ornamentation in smooth jazz. Miles Davis, he doesn't play any of that. What does he do? I mean, I, I can't even imitate him. He's so cool. But he's kind of like Ernest Hemingway. Ernest Hemingway, the writer, he was known for really having a profound voice, but yet using very small sentences, minimal words. That's the way Miles plays. He relies on his sound and his time. He doesn't need to ornament something. You know, I... I um, I find that some of the most profound things that I've ever had said to me are by someone who doesn't have a lot of words to say, but really means it. I remember having teachers tell me what they thought I needed to do. When my father, who never raised a hand to me, looking at me and speaking to me in a certain way, and it felt like a ton of bricks fell on me. I bet you all have, have similar experiences. So here's Miles delivering this whole message, and he's very simplistic, maybe a bit like um, Picasso in his, in his um, Cubist period. Very straight lines, even curves, not a lot of fluff. Not a lot of fluff, that real austere kind of approach. Let's listen to another trumpet player. This is someone who died way too young. His name is Booker Little. 
listen to his sound. I think I put it right near where his solo is. Let me see if I can share this screen. I want to make sure I share it correctly. This is from a Max Roach album. Max Roach is a great drummer called Deeds Not Words, and it's Booker Little on trumpet. Remember how Miles sounded? This is a completely different piece. Listen to Booker's tone. That's just, that's just crazy. I mean, Booker Little can play more trumpet than anybody I know. And if you ask any trumpet player, or if some of you are trumpet players, then you probably already know that Booker Little was just amazing. He studied with Adolf Herseff, I think it's Chicago, and had this beautiful, almost classical trumpet sound. At times, he almost sounds like he's playing a cornet, and yet playing very fast, get around the horn well. So all those notes he's playing... He wasn't as popular as Miles Davis was, but he's a trumpet player's trumpet player. He had a beautiful sound, great technique. But Miles is going, be-da, da Now, I'm not being fair to Booker Little because Booker played ballads beautifully. I could put on a ballad of Booker's, and he, you would hear his own sound even more. I just pulled up... Uh, that solo from It's You or No One, just because it's full of vim and vigor. The point is that you can play the trumpet and sound a bunch of different ways and still be in the arena. Again, if you're a classical musician, that's not going to happen. you got to sound a certain way, um, as I mentioned, if you're going to play orchestral trumpet or orchestral violin. Let me, uh, let me go on to someone else here. Give me a second. How many of you are saxophone players, I wonder? I have a son, he's nine, he started playing saxophone. And he's been listening to saxophone since he was about five. He already has like 20 guys that are his favorites. He likes Cannonball Adderley, he likes Hank Crawford, he likes Benny Carter, and then he likes a lot of tenor saxophones, Johnny Griffin from Chicago and uh, John Coltrane. Well, What's impressive to me with a kid is when they listen a lot, when they actually pick up a horn, they already have a concept. 
What do I mean? And they've never played the horn. Well, they have an oral concept. They know how it's supposed to sound. They know how it's supposed to sound. Sometimes people put a horn in their mouth and they're not thinking about how, how's it supposed to sound? This next recording I want to play you all is by great saxophonist. Name, his name is David Newman. His nickname was Fathead, David Fathead Newman. He played saxophone with Ray Charles. He was from um, Texas. And this next song is called Hard Times. I used to play this song with Kevin Mahogany, who wrote the lyric of this song. And he called it Times Are Getting Hard. And uh, you're going to hear a lot of joy in David Fathead's sound, but also the blues in his sound. And let's see if we can't pinpoint what that is, that blues in the sound. Because this isn't a blues, but there's a blues inflection. I wonder if you guys can hear that. Let me put this on. Here's Fathead playing Hard Times. Oh, I, I, I don't know if I shared this. Let's see, share. There we go. Here we go. Let me know if you all can hear this, okay? Hard times. feel like tapping your toes a little bit or smiling or feeling good, right? You know, in my business, we say you can't lose with the blues. The blues is a catharsis. It's how you get through being sad. But you can also be happy and play the blues. David Fathead, when he started that song, to me, it sounds like we're in church, like in a gospel church. And you can already hear someone saying, you know, times are bad. But it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. And then everybody usually in the church audience goes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's right. It's going to be okay. That's David Fadden Newman. He's got his own sound. Now, on the technical side, 
for horn players. He's using what we call fast air. So I said this is an oral, oral approach, but you have to use fast air. All horn players, trumpet, trombone, saxophone, we all use what is called the, 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 the great players use something that we refer to as breath solfege. Solfege, that's when we put syllables to notes, right? Like do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. That's solfege. Breath solfege is when we make the sound, a certain sound of the breath. So when we breathe in, singers too. When we breathe in, we make the sound ho. Everybody say ho, ho. When we breathe in, we make the sound who, who. Let me show you what I mean. I'm gonna I'm gonna count at four four, and on four I'm gonna breathe, and on one I'm gonna blow, and I'm gonna make the sound ho when I breathe in, and who when I breathe out. One two three. One two three. That's the way every horn player plays. Every singer sings. We don't say ha. We say ho. What that does is that sets up our oral cavity to have an appropriate approach to making a sound. You watch any videos of saxophone players, they're breathing like this. They're dropping their jaw or open up their corners because you can't say ho if you do this. If I lift up my mouth, I say ha. That moves your epiglottis and your, uve uh, your uvula rather. It puts it in the wrong place. So there are principles of applied uh, instrument playing. For instrumentalists, wind players, when you breathe in, you make the sound ho. When you breathe out, you make the sound who. Fathead's doing this. So there's a lot of information in his sound. I can hear the happiness, the blues, and I'm sure you all could hear a bunch of things too. Let's listen to another saxophone player playing the same instrument who has a completely different approach. This is uh, Lee Konitz. Here he is with the Phineas Newborn Trio. And I'm just gonna play a minute, minute of this. Check this saxophone sound out. Here he's playing Loverman. see Lee Konitz a lot. Lee Konitz kind of sounds like he's whispering in your ear. You know, very, can you hear the air in his saxophone sound? It's very pretty. I talked to Lee once. I said, Lee, man, you grew up the same time as Charlie Parker. 
Like, what was that like? Well, he didn't tell me this part of the story, but my professor at Rutgers University did. When Miles Davis made the Birth of the Cool album, Miles Davis wanted to use a saxophonist named Sonny Stitt. Well, guess what? Sonny Stitt sounded just like Charlie Parker at the time. And Jerry Mulligan was on this record date, and he told Miles, he goes, no, we can't use Sonny Stitt. we got to use this guy, Lee Konitz. And Miles said, why? He goes, because Sonny Stitt sounds like Charlie Parker. If you make this record, you just left Charlie Parker's band, Miles. If you leave it, everybody's going to compare what you're doing to what you did with Miles Davis. This guy, Lee Konitz, has his own sound. They're not going to compare you to Charlie Parker. It's like, it's like you're serving dinner. If you have a steak, you're not going to put a second steak on your plate. You're going to put some vegetables on your plate, right? You don't, you don't make a steak and say, let me try and outdo this steak with another steak. I mean, it's just too much steak. Maybe that's a bad analogy, but maybe you understand what I'm saying. So Lee Konitz, he came on the scene. That album I'm talking about, it's called The Birth of the Cool. The Birth of the Cool. It was Lee Konitz on alto sax. Sounded totally different than Charlie Parker. So getting back to Lee, I said, Mr. Konitz, you know, people must bug you all the time about Charlie Parker. What was that, you know, growing up at the same time? What do you, what do you, what do you, how do you deal with that? And he says, well, it's pretty funny. He says, people always say to me, he goes, he said, I always get asked the question, how did I grow up at the same time as Charlie Parker and was in New York City and don't sound just like Charlie Parker? And he said he had two answers. He would say, well, I tried and it was just too hard. So I said, forget it. And the other answer is when someone say, how do you not sound like Charlie Parker? He would look at them with an astonished look and say, I don't, just to get a kick out of them, right? The beauty, this, I think this is why I love jazz music so much, because you can have your own sound. Have we talked about any scales, any, any, any? No, this is important. You know, when you go to an art gallery, you know, if you go to an art gallery, one of my favorite art galleries is the Picasso Museum in uh, Barcelona. Whenever I play in Barcelona, I always go to the Picasso Museum. I don't go in there and say, man, look how he uses um, this color. Boy, he used more color on this painting than this painting. Or there, there might be some other artists there like Salvador Dali. I say, oh man, well, you know, Dali has more chops than uh, Picasso. That would be ridiculous. I would never talk about art that way. You're either moved by it or you're not. And if it's someone who's profound and you're not moved by it, then you just have to be an adult and be patient and say, well, let me figure it out. You follow what I'm saying? It's not about the chops. It's about the vibe. It's art for heaven's sake. Someone said to Miles Davis once, at the end of a concert, a very wealthy patron. I think it was a lady, and she said, well, I just don't understand what you're doing. Miles Davis said in his kind of, you know, Miles way, just like he, way he played Freddie the Freeloader. No, no, you know, he didn't dress it up. He said, how do you expect to understand what I'm doing in 10 minutes, and I've been working on it for 30 years?
he he normally wouldn't say something like that, of course. But she kind of, you know, she she kind of gave him the finger, like I don't understand what you're doing. Well, sometimes you have to you have to come to the art. You know, the art doesn't have to come to you every time. Um, the next example I want to show you is just that. This is a record I used to hear when I was a kid. It didn't get me back then as much as it gets me now. And there's two tenor saxophone players on this next record. And guess what? They play the same mouthpiece. No, I mean, not the exact same mouthpiece, but the same brand. And they play the same saxophone, the same brand. And I want you guys to listen to these two saxophone players. One is Eddie Lockjaw Davis from Count Basie's band. And the other is um, Paul Gonzalez from the Duke Ellington band. Check this out. I'm going to I'll play a little bit of the first saxophone player, then a little bit of the second one uh, to be mindful of time. Everybody cool? Here we go. Let me see. I got to share this screen here. Uh, here we go. All right. This is Eddie Lockjaw Davis and Paul Gonzalez playing Our Love Is Here To Stay. You hear it okay? Switch saxophonists. Let me back up just a little bit so you can hear. Eddie Lockjaw Davis plays the first half, and then Paul Gonzalez plays the second half. Listen to the difference. See if you can compare and contrast how these two fine saxophonists sound. There's some things that are very similar, and there's some things that are subtly different. Lockjaw.
that was Paul Gonzalez and Eddie Lockjaw Davis. Eddie Lockjaw started off. Paul played second. They had different sounds, different delivery. You know, we as Americans, I think, take this for granted a little bit because being American is about being an individual. We're free thinkers. You know, in D-Day, when we invaded Normandy at the onset of World War II for America, there was a plan. And uh, I read a book where the military landed on that beach, and it was a horrific, horrific time. We lost a lot of lives. A lot of people gave up their lives for the United States. But they got on the beach, and the plan they had wasn't working. And the guys had to say, forget this. We got to do something else. Well, this is a stereotype. So stereotypes have, have a, a place, but they're, they're not completely true for every single human being. But in a lot of other cultures, the, the, the idea would have been, no, we were told to do this. We are going to do this. The Americans said, forget it. We got to do something else. They improvised. We're improvisers. When Eddie Lockjaw played Out of Love Is Here to Stay, he dressed it up a little bit different than Paul Gonzalez. It's like they're cooking together. We can learn so much from jazz music because it takes all kinds of different people to come together in jazz to make something better. So often today, people get hung up with, man, you have to see things my way or I, you know, like, and not, not have different opinions. These jazz musicians all have their own way of doing things. And that's what we want to see when it comes to a saxophone sound. Uh, to have your own saxophone sound, your own trumpet sound, your own trombone sound. I work with a singer named Veronica Swift. She's world class. We have a great record out. She really sounds great on it. And um, she loves Anita O'Day. She adores Anita O'Day. She doesn't sound exactly like Anita. She still sounds like Veronica. She's standing on the shoulders of greatness. So even though we didn't talk today about playing this scale or that scale, which I'll do, <laughs> we talked about something that's very important, about being yourself and showing your style. But at the same time, we have to stand on the shoulders of greatness. In other words, when we play jazz, it doesn't mean... I'm free, I can do whatever I want, because no one's gonna understand you if you just do whatever you want. You're speaking a jazz language. So what we want to do is learn the vocabulary so you can speak to one another. Kind of like I'm talking today, a jazz concert, really what we're doing as an audience member is listening in on a conversation. That's why it can't be planned out. That's why it's phony if it's planned out, it's not fun. You know, imagine you were going on a date with someone and they said, well, at 7.15, I'm going to take you to this restaurant and then we're going to do this and then we're going to do this and here's the whole night and then by 11.30, you're going to be back at home. That's weird. You know, that's not the way life works. You know, we go out, we hang out, we say, hey, why don't we go get some ice cream? Or, you know, why don't we uh, watch a movie, you know? Or... How many times have you been in a conversation with someone and you intended to say one thing, but the conversation went a completely different way? And it was cool. Jazz is beautiful. Being an American is beautiful. 
My best advice I can give to anybody trying to get this together is to listen as much as you can and listen a lot. If you love, if you're a trumpet player and you love, um, well, let's say Woody Shaw or um, Lee Morgan or Louis Armstrong or Bubber Miley, listen to everything you can find that they did, every single thing, and try to sound like them. You know that Stan Getz, John Coltrane, Hank Mobley, Zoot Sims, Al Cohn. Oh, I, I could go on and on. They all wanted to be Lester Young. They heard Lester Young and he was so cool. You know, man, Lee Konitz, Lee Konitz. All these guys, they all told me, man, I learned how to play listening to Lester Young. But none of them sound like Lester. They all sound like themselves. They're standing on the shoulders of greatness. I want to play a video of two saxophones playing, again, the same instrument, both playing the same mouthpiece manufacturer, but yet they have wildly different sounds. I'm speaking about John Coltrane and Stan Getz. This is from a very rare recording live in Europe. I think it was in, uh, uh, might have been Dusseldorf in Germany. Let's check this out. They're playing Thelonious Monk's piece called Hack and Sack, and it's based off of a standard called um, Lady Be Good. By the way, Lady Be Good was a huge hit for who? who? Lester Young. These guys, they were playing Lester's tunes, just calling them different things. And check it out, it's Oscar Peterson at the piano. But I want you guys to listen. I wanna to listen to both these saxophone solos. Listen how differently these two gentlemen sound. It's amazing. Well, I gotta pull up the video. Give me a second. Here we go. This is so cool. I remember the first time I saw this, my jaw was on the floor. I couldn't believe it. Here we go. Hack and sack. And look how much these guys love each other. Stan Getz and John Coltrane. That was Wynton Kelly who just got up off the piano. Now that's Oscar Peterson.
those guys are playing and they sound so different totally different and they're playing the same same mouthpiece same horn has anyone ever heard the term syzygy means when two different things come together syzygy when two different things come together to form something completely different and to me, the band sounded so different when Coltrane was playing. Not just Coltrane, but the drums sounded different. The piano sounded different. And then when Stan Getz came in, it all sounded different. And it was all beautiful. It was like cooking, mixing different spices together. Music is a great way to show us that diversity is beautiful. And getting an individual sound that's based off the tradition is paramount if you're going to be a jazz player. It's what's going to put the rice and beans on the table, as we say. People, you want people to know when you play a note, man, that's, that's Joe playing or that's Sheila playing. I know right away. In fact, I said Sheila, it just reminded me of Shirley Scott, great organ player from Philadelphia, Hammond organ player. You could tell Shirley right away the way she plays the Hammond organ, it's Shirley. And it's an electronic instrument. It's important. So think about some of those fundamentals we talked about, the way you make a sound when you breathe in, the way you breathe out. And then think about listening and then creating that oral, oral approach. Huge, huge. I see that, um, I see a question in the chat. Should I, should I answer this question that's in the chat? Yes. Uh, yeah, I was just going to bring that to your attention, Jeff. Yeah, if you could, that'd be great. Oh, okay. So Camilla Ferrofino, if I said that right, I hope so, says, how do you feel that your personal sound has brought your opportunities as a Yamaha performing artist? Well, uh, Yamaha built me a saxophone. And I'm very close with the people at Yamaha. 
and their their craftsmen, the guys that are working on the saxophones here in the United States, uh, Tomoji Hirakawa in New York and Jeff Peterson in Los Angeles. Um, But again, you know, um, like I I said, I own these old vintage saxophones. Like what you saw Coltrane and Getz just playing, I own both of those horns. Not, Not those exact ones, but the same model, same vintage. And my Yamaha helps me get closer to the sound. Um, so what's really, what's re- I've been really grateful, Camilla, grateful for Camilla is that I've been able to um, follow, finally, I think in my 30s, I finally said, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do, Camilla, as a jazz musician. And that's when things really opened up for me. When I finally said, forget it, I'm going to do what I want to do. I had studied so much up to that point, and I finally just said, I'm going to play the way I want to play. And that's when Yamaha actually approached me and said, hey, we, 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 we're interested in, in, in you trying out some of our horns. And I tried out probably a dozen of them, and I said, yeah, they're really good, you know, but I think I'm going to stick with what I'm doing. And one they brought me, kind of I kept thinking about. So a year later, I, I, I went back to Yamaha, and I said, Hey, can I check that horn out again? And they said, how about we make you one? I said, okay. So they made this gold-plated one. And uh, really what's beautiful about it is it just helps me be me. That's all I care about. I know that sounds kind of selfish, doesn't it? I just want to be me. But um, life's too short not to give back to the community. And the way I give back to the community is to try and play as pretty as I can make people happy or reflective and the other way is to try and help the youth of america because i truly believe that youth of america is our greatest resource it's not natural gas or oil it's our kids so i tried to play the saxophone pretty tell a little story like lester young did I just want people to feel good. I just want people to feel good and feel like, well, like Art Blakey said, like the music is just washing off the dust of everyday life. It's the it's not the notes, guys. It's how you say it. It's how you say it. It's the delivery. The way Miles Davis kind of had that James Dean thing happening, you know. Booker Little kind of had a I don't know. He reminds me a little bit of like James Earl Jones. Very regal, beautiful tone, very well spoken. You know, I I love artists for this reason. That's why I like going to art galleries because it's not about scales or chops. It's just about the art. That's what I think it's about. That's a really good question, Camilla. I hope, uh, I hope you've enjoyed this time. And, uh, I know I'd like to thank very much uh, Steve and Lee and everybody at the Clearwater Jazz Holiday. You guys are all aces in my book. You know, thank Jeff. You very much, Jeff. It's just it's just been an, an absolute delight to have you participating in this first virtual session with us. You are first class, and I really appreciate you going the extra mile with us today on this session. Um, it was so so fun to listen to. I loved all of the resources you shared with us. And I'm as excited 
to have you back with us on August 31st when you're going to be doing a session on improvisation from the ground up. So I just wanted to give a little plug about that for those that are participating today and that will be listening to this before that time. Um, it's going to be really cool to have you back. And this has been, <laughs> Lee's been with us all day today. We've had quite a day today. It started off with Alejandro Arenas with a a harmony class from the bass perspective and then we had Brandon Robertson join us on jazz bowing and then we had you of course and if if for those that are new to this um, program this resource we have online archives all of these sessions and they're all organized by instrument and there's a bunch in a just a general topic section as well which are which are really really cool and so I urge you to, to check those out and listen online. I mean, we've got some really, really just dynamic, wonderful musicians and educators working with us on this. This Friday, we have Wycliffe Gordon joining us with uh, Frank Williams is going to be doing a conversation with Wycliffe. We're just so excited about that. And so... Um, Jeff, I just wanted you to know, you know, you're part of something and you've been part of this for a while, but the fact that you're joining us on these just means the world to us. And we're just, we're really looking forward to the next time. Well, I can't thank you enough, Steve. I've been lucky, man. I've played all over the world. I've made hundreds of albums. The first jazz festival I ever played, though, was the Clearwater Jazz Holiday. So I always feel like I'm coming home. And, uh, I appreciate uh, what the city of Clearwater has done for me back when I was 18 or 19 years old. And, uh, you know, like I said, I've played all over the world and Clearwater has a wonderful festival. And this jazz initiative is something that uh, digs even deeper. So thank you, Steve. Thanks, Lee. Thank you, everybody, for me on the board. You guys are doing a wonderful job and uh, we appreciate you very much. Thanks for those kind words, Jeff. And on, be, on behalf of the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation, to everybody participating today and who will be watching this in the future, thank you for your support of our tradition and our outreach. Stay safe out there and be well. Keep playing. And, Jeff, we will see you again real soon, my friend. Pleasure's all mine, gentlemen and ladies. Thank you so much. All Have right. a great afternoon. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation's Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. This podcast series is presented by our friends at Marine Max Clearwater. To watch the video of this full session, please visit the Education and Outreach page at clearwaterjazz.com and click on the studio. You can also learn more about the annual Clearwater Jazz Holiday Music Festival tradition and Clearwater Jazz Holiday's year-round education and outreach at clearwaterjazz.com.